But good morning. Welcome to Heartland Baptist Fellowship. It's good to see everyone this morning. I don't know about you, but I think summer is just flying by. So before long, we'll be shoveling snow. Hopefully not, but uh, on those 100-degree days, that kind of feels good, doesn't it? But uh, probably change my mind when we get there. My name is Bob Hall. I'm one of the pastors here at Heartland Baptist, and I want to welcome you. And I especially want to welcome those people that are our first-time guests. So if we have any first-time guests this morning, uh, would you just raise your hand up? We want to recognize you. Basically, what we want to do is give you a gift back. We want to give you a gift that has has a Bible in it. It has some information about our church. So do we have any first-time guests? Just put your hand up in the air. And... uh, we want to just uh, be able to greet you, and if not, uh, make sure you, if you're here today and you're just too shy, grab one of the ushers, and they'll give you one of those gift bags before you leave. And also, before you leave, uh, make sure you stop by and talk to our pastor in the lobby afterwards. He'll be out there, as well as some of the rest of us, and uh, would be happy to get to know you a little better, answer any questions you might have. And so, from that, had some good singing this morning, nice and cool place to sit. And so we're continuing on with our worship, and we have a security update next. All right. Well, good morning. I think most of you know my name is Mark Lockwood, and I am uh, head of safety and security here at Heartland uh, Fellowship. And I just wanted to go over a few things with you to kind of update you and and hopefully answer some questions you might have, especially parents. Um, We have a lot of things that go on here. Safety and, and security is very important. We're to be vigilant. The Bible tells us, particularly over our flock, and your pastors are extremely uh, so and take that very uh, seriously. Um, we have a lot of things in place. Um, you know, we don't have or need a bunch of guys in uniforms and things like that. But uh, we do take uh, uh, the security and the safety of each and every one of you seriously. And uh, we have a team of nurses uh, and security people, both men and women, uh, to that end. We also have some things coming up that I want to let you know about and uh, invite your participation in. And that would be a fire drill and a tornado drill eventually. That will be further down the line. How many of you have ever been through a fire drill? Okay, yeah, pretty much everybody, right? You remember them at school? That type of thing. And that's what it'll be like. Um, we'll, we won't interrupt service, of course, or anything like that. It will be specifically uh, so that we can be prepared, right? Uh, we're, be, we're to be prepared, meet for the master's use. And uh, God forbid something like that happen, uh, there's some things that you need to know, um, one of which is where to go, right, and what to do. Um, we will have, in the next few months, some plaques up on some of the walls that will show, you know, here you are, here's where uh, where you go uh, on each of those. One of the biggest things I want you to know is this. Your children and the people in Ewing under Mitch and Jody uh, who do a fantastic job, they take that stewardship extremely seriously and to heart. We have a plan for them. So how many of your parents, raise your, raise your hand, they have kids here, okay? Here's what I want you to know. Because I know where your heart is going to be. It's going to be, go get my kids, right? I need you not to do that. Your children will be taken out. We're actually getting some, some 
ropes, not to tie them together, but so that they can latch on and follow together. They will be out and to the back. Everybody else is going through these doors, okay? Um, you might ask yourself, why aren't we going out that door? Wait, does anybody know what's right on the other side of that door? The kitchen. You know where most fires start? Okay, so does that explain why we, we probably don't want you going out that door? Unless we see it somewhere else, then, then we might do that. But what I want you to think about is, okay, I need to quickly and orderly, right? The Bible says do things decently and in order, and, and that's a time to live that, okay? Going out, helping any of our elderly or infirm that might need so to get out as quickly and rapidly as possible out into the parking lot and all the way to the back. Why would I want you to go all the way to the back? Anybody? Yeah, exactly. They'll be rolling up right here, and we need to be out of the way so that they can do their job. Your children will be back here on the other side of the playground. Everybody knows where that is, right? They'll be having fun for a little while, okay? They'll be like, all right, we get to go outside. But they will be well taken care of. And we would want you to stay there until the fire chief gives the clear and the okay, if something like that should happen. And by the way, we have spent time with them, and that's where the plan of evacuation comes from, um, including a tornado, which is a whole other thing we'll do. But what we will probably do, uh, we haven't ironed this completely out, but is after a service, ask you to stay, and then we'll do a fire drill, or maybe before, so that we're not interfering with the uh, preaching of the Word of God, which is more important to keep people out of fire. Amen? <laughs> All right. Um, if you have questions for me, by the way, um, please feel free to ask me. Most of you see me uh, in the lobby. Uh, feel free to ask me at any time. Uh, Pastor Randy is over this ministry, and Pastor Brian, ultimately, we work hand-in-hand uh, -hand, uh, on these things, uh, along with the uh, first responders here in the area. Um, there are all kinds of little things that uh, we pay attention to, like the doors being locked. If you happen to come through and you see a door, one of these doors going outside unlocked, or you see something that just doesn't seem right, would you come and tell one of us? It doesn't really matter who, just tell one of us so we can go make sure that door uh, is as it should be or, or whatever the case may be. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, the old saying, see something, say something, right? And that's, that's pretty much it. So uh, that's all I've got for you now, but just be aware there's going to be a fire drill. And uh, we look forward to doing that and seeing uh, how well that goes. I, I understand that years ago before I was here, they did a couple, and, and uh, we need to work on it. So that's what we're doing. Amen? Amen. You guys all on board? Amen. I really appreciate that very much and uh, appreciate all that uh, our pastors in this church does, and uh, thank you for taking some time to listen to me. Amen. Man, praise the Lord. It's good, Mark, when you get a applause for uh, an announcement on fire drills, so I'm encouraged. That encourages me. Uh, we're in a good place as a church, so praise the Lord for that. Uh, well, again, welcome. My name is Brian Hedges. It's been a few years, as he mentioned, since we've done that, and we have had crises here at different times. There was a time we had a wedding and had to stop the wedding uh, because of a tornado that was passing by out front of the building. 
Actually, I'm probably embellishing that a little bit. So it was over Walmart, you know, and uh, and so that's kind of to me. I'd look like out in front of the building. Fortunately, it didn't drop here. It just kind of kept on going, and I think it was a minor tornado. It, it did hit probably like in Pea Hill or Strasburg or something like that, but it didn't do a whole lot of damage. But uh, we were running for the restrooms and stuff like that, and we had a plan, and that's the main thing. You got to have a plan for those sort of things. And so, um, at any rate, uh, just welcome this morning. I got a plan to preach the word this morning. You ready to get in the Bible? All right. If you have your Bible, uh, be turning to the book of Exodus. We're continuing our study called "Getting Out of Egypt" sermon series. And as you're turning there, I'll just say a few words about carpet and construction, since we're talking about security and safety. Uh, you notice things have been. Uh, you probably noticed this morning we had a little lighter praise set because we anticipated. Uh, perhaps that uh, things would not be set up or what have you. As it ends up, we're a little behind on the schedule. Um, and so, or I shouldn't say we, the installers, but they made good progress on Friday. And we, I, would, I would think by next week, everything will be back in place and we'll be able to function uh, fully as possible. Uh, and so if you're just, a, if you're a guest, I mentioned that because if you're thinking, okay, is that your, your, your praise team's a cajon and a guitar, you know, and uh, great job, by the way, guys. But no, we have a little bit more robust worship service uh, typically, but because of the uh, because of the construction and everything, we were, were pared down a little bit this week. So just to kind of give you an update on that. Uh, looking forward, though, we'll be praying about that process uh, as uh, we're hoping to see more progress this week. All right. So uh, this morning, as you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11, Exodus chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, maybe your guest first time. Uh, you've been here. You can grab one from the seat rack in front of you. If you've got a guest bag, there's a Bible in there as well. That's one of the gifts that we give. We assemble the Bible here at HBF. So you can open that up and be turning to page 98 in that Bible if you don't have one. That'll get you right to where we're going to be this morning in the text. And this morning I want to talk to you about a, a word of warning. And uh, and then next week, I, or not next week, in two weeks, I'll be coming back and talking about a word of wisdom. Uh, just a reminder, next week we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper at 1030, so we'll have no ABFs. We have one service on the fifth Sunday. We do that about four times a year, and we'll just come together as one man. Uh, uh, Pastor Bob's going to be preaching uh, this service, and then we're all going to partake of the Lord's Supper. So that's what will be on tap next week. Uh, and then uh, the following week we'll be back on track in Exodus uh, with another uh, part to this message concerning a word, a word of warning and a word of wisdom. This morning we're going to be talking about this word of of warning. Now, as we left chapter 10, you've slept since then, it's been a few weeks, in Exodus chapter 10 and verse uh, 29, the last thing that Moses does was affirm to, to Pharaoh that he will not see him anymore. Uh, he says, and Moses said that thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. Uh, and, per- and God puts a punctuation point there, period, boom. And God, I believe, does that for emphasis. He could have probably tied this into chapter 11 or restructured it, however God wanted to do that. But he, he makes us understand that this is it. But he gives us a little more insight in chapter 11 to this same conversation and, and really some of the information that's uh, involved in the discussion between Moses and uh, Pharaoh. And also, as we'll see this morning, uh, uh, well, you know, Pharaoh, I don't know, maybe it's next, next time I preach, but we'll see in this text when you get to the end that we see how the, the disposition that Moses had toward Pharaoh. So this relationship, I can tell you, between Pharaoh and Moses it's getting heated, right? This isn't. Uh, this is not uh, getting milder and cooler. This this thing is getting. Moses, we know, has a hot temper, and uh, Moses is. Uh, you can start to. You can see in the text as we go through this this morning that he uh, 
uh, his patience is also running out with Pharaoh as well as God's patience. So uh, God wanted this punctuation on the interaction because God is in essence done with Pharaoh. From this point out, it's about God's uh, plan for his people. And, uh, and of course, we know what ends up happening to Pharaoh. So as we read the text this morning in Exodus 11, we'll see a final words of warning and wisdom for both the Egyptian and God's people. This is really a, kind of like a vitamin. It's got a lot of good information that we can get out of this uh, that is practical, too, that we can apply. Uh, and so if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 11, let's just read it. This, you can, if you haven't read your Bible today, which I know most of you have because you've been in an adult Bible fellowship, but if you haven't, we're going to read a whole chapter. So you've read it, we'll be reading a chapter of the Bible this morning, 10 simple verses. Uh, if you don't mind, let's stand in honor of God's Word. Um, I was talking with some folks a few weeks ago. They, they thought that it was really odd that, that people stand and, um, and read the Bible. It is not because we're liturgical. This is not to do with you know, genuflexing or anything like that. In the book of Ezra, in the Old Testament, uh, when God brought revival to the nation of Israel, they stood, uh, there was a pulpit of wood, uh, a platform was built of wood, and they read the word. They read it all day long. We're going to be a lot shorter than that. So they read it, and they they honored God's word, and then God brought revival. So that's one of the reasons we stand, uh, because this is God's word, not my word, not your word, and we're here to hear from him. So Exodus chapter 11, let's read the word of God together. Verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you uh, go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be any like it any more. I'm sorry, verse 7, And against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. That's the disposition that... that, uh, uh, Moses had as he left this meeting. Verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Heavenly Father, we have read your word. It, uh, It is true. It was true the day that Moses spoke these words to Pharaoh. It's It's been true for um, you know, almost 4,000 years since then, Lord, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be true for eternity future. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, as we look into this text this morning, that you would help us see things uh, that maybe we've never seen before. You'd help us understand things that we need to apply to our lives. And Lord, I'm, I'm praying this morning that as we meet together, that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, today would be the day that they would quit warring with you and bow the knee and make peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. 
Lord, we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for your local church. We're thankful for what you're doing in our lives today. We pray a blessing on the reading, the hearing of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Exodus 11, again, it serves as a transition between Israel's time as servants uh, and slaves in Egypt and now their new identity as a nation and an army. And one of the reasons I kind of mention this disposition of Moses uh, is you remember how he entered into all of this, very reluctant, uh, somewhat clunky, uh, shy, uh, so to speak, or without a lot of confidence. Um, He's obviously a humble man. But he was raised in, in Pharaoh's court. He's not impressed with all of these things. He's, he's very clear-minded, and he's gone through all, all nine of these plagues at this point. And now we see, as we read the text, that he leaves in anger. I mean, he is, his uh, status has, has risen. And not only has his status risen, but actually what God is doing is changing the status of the whole nation. Right? They are no longer just slaves. As they've gone through these plagues, God has sanctified them and set them apart. And, and the plagues have not touched them after plague three. And, and, and it's been very clear. I mean, God has made it so obvious that his hand of blessing is upon Moses and upon the people to the point that you remember the servants in the previous chapter were telling Pharaoh, why are you fighting with Moses? Man, this guy... Uh, you know, all of, his, all of Egypt's going to be destroyed if you continue to fight with Moses. Now, they're missing that they were fighting with God, right? So that was, I pointed that out when we were in that text. But they're getting the message, and they're understanding that, man, this, this, is a, this, this God is not going to be beat, and this is going to be bad for us. And, and it's elevated their position. It's elevated Moses' position to the point that, uh, like, a, like a good translator, we're, we're getting ready for the Dominican, so this is on my mind. When, I get, when you're preaching, right, a, a translator will follow your motion. So if you raise your hand, they raise their hand. You raise your voice, they raise their voice. All of those things. Uh, when they're interpreting what you're saying and translating it. Uh, well, that's what's going on. Moses is there in, in Christ's stead, as we would say, as, as we're ambassadors for Christ. Well, he's there in God's stead. And instead of reconciling Egypt to God, he is bringing judgment upon Egypt. And uh, God's anger or God's voice is raising, Moses' voice is raising. And we know that Moses has an anger issue. We see that later in the Ten Commandments, right? So uh, you got to keep a lid on that, Moses. But he's not doing it. I mean, he's, he's, he's fired up about how this is coming down because ultimately it's Pharaoh's own fault because he is not heeding the warning. And that's what this uh, 11th chapter really is. It's, it's sort of like the final warning. Uh, of course, we've got a lot more drama to play out in regard to this last plague and subsequent Passover. But at the end of the day, this is what is going on. God called them out, of, called them out in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 26, and he called them armies at that point. He also called them armies in, in chapter 7 and verse 4. But they won't realize that practically until they're delivered from the land of Egypt and Pharaoh uh, at the Passover and the Red Sea crossing. After this chapter, so uh, they are an army. God sees them as an army, but yet they haven't yet functioned as an army. But you can see how God is preparing them. Now, you can also probably see uh, that's kind of the process that we're in as a church. If you understand, we don't have a physical inheritance. If you go, by the way, plug for discipleship too. One of the things we teach in discipleship too is the distinctions between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. We really, it's really a class on how to rightly divide the Word of God and then how to rightly work out that in your life in a practical way. It's about the Word of God and the work of God. And uh, a lot, I just, I just, there's less and less people really understand how to rightly divide the Word of God so they don't know how to rightly apply it. And they can't, they can't functionally operate within the context of the Word of God. They misapply the Word of God and it sends them off on a tangent. 
So plug for Discipleship 2. If you've been through D1, sign up for D2. It's coming up in September. Uh, In that class in D2, we teach the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Um, And so our inheritance, we're we're not called to take over the United States and, and create a Christian country, so to speak. Now, we are called to be salt and light and be the pillar and ground of the truth and influence everybody everywhere, including in the United States, um, for the cause of Christ and get the gospel where it needs to go on time. So what are you saying, Brian? What I'm saying is that we don't need uh, – I don't want to be the king of America, right? Um, God, has, God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We are here to, to serve him. We're to submit to the king if there's a king or the president or whatever. But we have a higher calling, right? We have a higher station. Our promise, like the children of Israel, is there's going to come a day we're called up out of here. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be. The Bible tells us we are right now, we're sons of God. I mean, we are light beings. We're light-bearing beings. Uh, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? Well, we share the light with the, with a dark and dying world. And so we're like we're kind of like Moses in that respect. We're like ambassadors, the Bible calls it ambassadors for christ but there's a promise that someday jesus will come and he will quicken us he'll he'll catch us up if we're dead we'll resurrect and we'll meet him in the clouds and after we go through the judgment seat of christ uh we'll reassemble for the second coming and when we return we come back as an army now we're the bride of christ but we're, we're in a militant form as we return right now we're not we're in a reconciling form as ambassadors for christ that's what an ambassador will do i guarantee you right now in ukraine there's ambassadors from Russia. There's ambassadors from the United States. There's ambassadors from all over the place coming in there, and they're trying to negotiate and work out things behind the scenes, back channels, all that kind of stuff's going on. Um, and so why is that? Because you've got to have a way to communicate or there will never be peace. And what our job is right now is to get the gospel where it needs to go. We're here to make peace with as many people as possible and get them out of the war zone before God brings it down. And that's really what you see happening in chapter 11, you start to see the influence of God's people uh, and what God is doing through them starts to inf- impact everybody except Pharaoh. Like Pharaoh is the slowest learner in the class. I mean, uh, he, he is not getting it. Everybody else is, is like, I get it, to the point that, of course, they will empty their, 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 uh, their bank accounts to help these people leave so that they don't get destroyed and, and they want to be their friends because they understand there's a blessing associated with that. Would to God that, that our relationship with God would be so tangible to other people that they would understand that if they needed someone to make peace with God, they could come to you and you could bring them, you could connect them to the Lord Jesus Christ and make as an ambassador and make peace by sharing the gospel and giving them the terms of peace, which is simply humbling ourselves, bowing our knee, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and receiving him as Savior. Uh, that would be that'd be wonderful. And so there's a lot of neat things in this chapter, and this is a shadow of our identity. Uh, as, we ch- as, we, as, it, as I've just mentioned, it will change uh, drastically right? as we leave these bodies and get our spiritual inheritance. When Paul is reminding the Corinthians of this in 2 Corinthians 6, he quotes the Old Testament uh, when he says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and, and be a, I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty. Now, that's a promise to the nation of Israel, but it's also a promise to those that are born again. We are sons of God, and we need to walk. Ephesians talks about that, how our walk is now different. We don't walk as we used to walk as Gentiles. 
uh, because we're new creatures in Christ. Colossians chapter 1 tells us even the mystery. This was a hidden mystery, but now we know it. It's revealed to us, which hath been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to the saints. And so he says, um, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving to his working, which worketh in me mildly. So God was once, um, again, warning Pharaoh, but it was not counted as wisdom to him because he would not heed the wisdom of God's word. You often hear me say that good news is only good news if it gets to the, uh, the people on time, and that's true. But it could also be said that the gospel is only good news to the people that hear it uh, if they receive it, right? Even if we get the good news there on time, it's, it's only good news to them if they receive it. If they reject it, it's, that's bad news. So Pharaoh had an ample opportunity to receive God's words and honor God uh, and, and the God of Moses, but he refuses, as many in our society do today. Nevertheless, we, like Moses, are obligated to share the gospel and live a sanctified life so God's marvelous works serve as a witness to the lost and dying souls in this world who know intuitively that following God, the God of this world, is leading them to death and destruction. You know, Pharaoh won't admit it, but Pharaoh knows that what he is doing, following the gods of Egypt, these pagan deities, is not working for him. There's a lot of people in our spheres of influence, at work, at school, in our families. They may not admit it. They may be like Pharaoh. They may be hard in their heart, but they know intuitively that what they're doing, what they're doing is not really working for them. It is not really going to, it's not satisfying them internally. If it is, it's momentarily, but they're not, their soul is empty. And God has designed it that way. They're thirsting, and they're thirsting for the water of life, even if they won't admit it. And the time that I have left, I want to take uh, look at one side of a, of a two-sided coin here in this chapter. Uh, the first thing I want to examine is God's words of warning to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. When we come back in a couple of weeks, I'll talk about God's words of wisdom to the people of God because you see both of those in this, in this text. And so a word of warning uh, or a word of wisdom, which are you receiving this morning? You know, when we come to church on a, on a day like this, we come hopefully eagerly accepting uh, expecting, I should say, rather, to to accept something from God's Word, to get something from God's Word, something that will, will move us, motivate us, change us, uh, give us direction, instruction, and righteousness, right? We want to we wanna hear from God. You don't want to hear from me. We want to hear from God. All right, that's wise, right? That's, that's people of wisdom. We thirst for truth because God's Word is true. But then there's those that, that really just go through the motions. They're just religious people. Uh, and they're not necessarily bad people. They may be more moral people. But they're just walking through the, the motions. And, and oftentimes in, in our circles, you know, people like to make fun or, or pick out uh, liturgical. I mentioned earlier those, those kind of repetitive, redundant, uh, you know, uh, groups that, that are not gospel-oriented, that are works-based for salvation. There's only, by the way, there's only two, there's only two ways that, that the gospel is taught. One's biblically true, which is by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the other one's works, right? And that's it. I mean, it doesn't matter... What name you put on it, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, Catholicism, you put an ism on the back of it, and typically it's going to be some sort of works-based uh, theology where you're always trying to earn favor with God, and it's not based in faith in the grace 
that has been already provided for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we come to this, we come to this understanding that, man, we, we understand we need this, this grace, and this grace has changed us. But when we reject that, there's a warning. It's a warning that, you know what, your, your situation's not going to get any better if you continue to just work your way through a system. You need to have a personal relationship, a personal uh, encounter, a personal time in your life when you have heeded and understood why Jesus came to this earth, believed it, and then personally received it. It's not enough. You can't just go through on someone else's coattails. Right? Well, my mom was a good Christian. My grandma was a great Christian. My parents built that church, whatever that is, that thing. Or my daddy was a preacher or whatever. Don't matter. Doesn't matter. Make a hill of beans. God died on the cross for you, right? And we have to come to him and deal with our own sin because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so just being born and raised in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like being in a garage doesn't make you a car, right? you got you got to come to that place that you are transformed through the power of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does that when he enters your body. When you call upon his name, what happens is he literally indwells you. So, you know, you watch all those scary movies and people get demon-possessed. Oh. Well, you know what? When you call on the name of the Lord, you get Jesus-possessed. And it becomes completely obvious. Uh, you know, I mean, not always just evidently obvious, but in my life it was pretty quick. Uh, not to everybody, but to people who knew me, I was instantly changed. Uh, and it took a while to knock a lot of the rough edges off. But from the inside out, God is changing. What am I saying? God's like, Brian, don't lie to him. He's still knocking the rough edges off. But, uh, you know, uh, but God, take, he takes you where you're at, and he gets you where you need to go. But the day that you get saved, he changes you from the inside out. So I better get on this message. We're not going to get done. So uh, point number one, a word of warning to this world. If you're not saved, maybe you're just mocking. We're not on the, on the line, so this won't be broadcast live today, but it will eventually probably make it out in audio. If you're out in the world listening to this somehow, this message gets to you, uh, and you're not a Christian, then this is a warning. Let me give you some warnings to this world. We can boil the next uh, five things that I'm going to share with you. I'm going to preach you this morning into one sentence. I'll just give you the end before I begin. Fighting God costs you more than you can afford. If you want to fight God, uh, if you're out here in the stratosphere somewhere somehow hearing this, uh, and you want to fight God, I can promise you, no matter who you are, who you think you are, I don't care if you're George Soros, I don't care if you're Bill Gates, I don't care who you think you are, how much money you have, how much power you have, uh, whatever your sta- station is, it doesn't matter. You do not have enough cash to fight God. That is a battle you will not win. Fighting God costs you more than you can afford. In the war for worship, Pharaoh simply cannot afford to keep fighting God. And in every war, you know, all wars are what? A war of will. They're a war of attrition, right? If you've ever been in any real struggle, uh, physical combat, uh, you know, a sporting event, whatever it is. It's always a test of will. It's a test of attrition. And it's a test of who's got who's got the most and who's going to stick it out. When Lucifer uh, decided that he was wanting to usurp the authority of the Lord, he picked a fight that he could never win. But he is not willing to give up yet, even though he is defeated. And that's why we're in play. There's a There's a showdown coming, just like the showdown we're looking at here in Exodus. And so I've, I've told you, and you understand why we're here. We're here to make peace 
with those that are going to be impacted by this war. But there's a war for worship, and Pharaoh simply cannot afford to keep fighting it. But yet he does. Wars are expensive, and the admonition that Jesus gives us is to count the cost before we go to war. Over there in Luke chapter 14 and verse 28, the cost of going to war or building a home can get out of hand so fast that can cause a nation or a person, in the old days a king, they run out of money. And you run out of money, you run out of ability to have ammunition and weapons and people and food and all that, and then you, well, you lose a war. So he, the admonition is count the costs before you go to war. And, and Pharaoh is refusing to really count the cost. He doesn't believe, he never believed this was a war he was going to lose, and yet he's on his way to losing big time. Pharaoh's servants, however, as I mentioned earlier, they realized a long time ago in chapter, in chapter 10, this war is lost, Pharaoh. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? But his pride continues to keep him writing checks that he cannot cash. And so, okay, for, for you younger crowd, using a debit card that has no balance, has no money in the account, all right? For those of you who know what a check is, there's this paper we used to write on it, and it was legal tender. It would get us cash, right? So, uh, yeah, okay, you get it. So this morning, if you're lost, if you're not saved this morning, I can tell you this. With love and, and, and sincerity, I was lost too for a long, long time. You, you don't have enough capital. You certainly don't have enough capital to get you to heaven. You know, I know how it is, right? So when you start to, this is how it goes, because I was lost. So when you're lost, you know, you already, if you were like me, I already knew, like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But, you know, you, you go through, even if you don't even go to church, we are all religious. And so you're like, well, if I'm a good person, right, if my good outweighs my bad, that's usually like the first natural human instinct, you know, is I, I'm going to be a good person. And inevitably what we learn, we don't even need the Old Testament for this. We have the law of our conscience. And so we set up these rules, right? You got the Ten Commandments of Brian, right? And the Ten Commandments are, you know, you shouldn't kill somebody. You shouldn't, you shouldn't lie or whatever rules that you create. And then inevitably, what are you going to do with those rules? You're going to break them, right? I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Well, so once you break them, well, well, now you're condemned. Your own conscience condemns you because you're not as good as you even want to be, right? So then what do you got to do? Oh, this is what I did. Then we become like a Pharisee. We become self-righteous. It's amazing how lost people can become so self-righteous. And I speak this as a law, as I was, I'm not lost, but I was lost as someone who was lost. And so what I, so then you start looking around and this is what we say when you were lost back before Christ, at least I'm not as bad as, right? So then now we start looking for people who we think we're better than. So we can justify ourselves. So we feel like, okay, at least I'm better than that person. So when God's, you know, doling out the judgment, I'm not going to get it like that person. And it's just like, it's just just ridiculous. It's absurd. All, the Bible says, all unrighteousness is sin. God is holy. He is pure. The reason we are saved by grace through faith is there's not one person on the planet other than Jesus Christ who could merit salvation? And the reality is we all must receive it by grace through faith in his finished work, as I've already mentioned. And so this morning, if you're lost, you're doing the same thing Pharaoh was doing, finding another way. Each breath you take, each heartbeat you have is the Lord's. He has consistently 
and constantly given you breath. He's given you a heartbeat. And he's given you life, which we consume upon the, our own lusts and our own purposes and our own plans and our own glory. Not once pausing to think the God that created us, giving us breath, giving us the ability to move and breathe. Like Paul on Mars Hill, he, he, that's where he met the, the Athenians at. He's like, there is a God, a creator. He gives you the ability to move and breathe. He is the, the unknown God, the God that you don't even know among all the other gods that you worship. So here's your word of warning. Number one, fighting God will cost you financially and materially. Now, that's the least of our concerns, honestly. I'll start with that one. Uh, the material world is not a big deal, but it's a big deal to those that are lost. When you don't know Jesus, that's all you got. The material world means everything. And we see in verses 1 and 2, the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go. Hence, when he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. So we've already seen how fighting with God has caused Pharaoh's crops. It's caused his cattle. It's caused untold damage to physical property with the advent of the fire, the hail. Um, the servants already declared in Exodus 10, 7 that this battle was lost. Egypt, their exact words is Egypt is destroyed. I mean, he's already lost in uh, chapter 10 and verse 7. Egypt is destroyed. Satan will reward his servants with wealth, but at length. You cannot take it with you when you die. It's not going to matter one bit. You probably heard it said before, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse down the road to a funeral. But you know also, if you know much about Egyptian um, mythology, right, their religious system, they believed that they could, right, in those tombs, they thought they could take all their wealth with them into the next life. That was a lie that they were believing. Pharaoh believed he could take his riches with him. God was going to make sure... His account was empty before he died and spent his eternity in hell. And I do want to remind all of us that right now, Pharaoh, right, like this moment in time, and if he could hear what I'm saying, he is the most sympathetic person in the, in the, in the congregation. If there's anybody right now that would implore, would be a great ambassador, it would be him. Because he would testify that everything that I'm saying, and he would do a much better job than I, is true. And that there's only one way. There's only one truth, and there's only one life, and that we should heed the warning that God gives us to repent. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 11 and verse 2, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. You see, all the resources that the world had to offer could not protect Pharaoh from the wrath of God. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 29, the Bible says, A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his way. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. That's something we need to like bask in a little bit as Christians. We need to like settle in on that. Just remember that. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Right? That's why we need to make sure that we're fighting the right spiritual battles, the right battles. There, there is no wisdom. There is no counsel against the Lord. So a lot of times we get all, like right now we're all being, you know, emotionally manipulated. I'm right there with you. 
if you watch any kind of news or anything, whatever comes in on your devices, and and they'll, they'll you'll get hit with certain things, and it just kind of, well, I don't know, I'll speak for myself. It kind of inflames me. I got caught up in this yesterday. Something came across, and I wanted to respond to this. You know, I'm I'm all like emotionally bought into this thing. At the end of the day, though, we got to take a step back as Christians and realize we're in a bigger battle for souls. And at the end of the day, there is no wisdom. There is no counsel that's going to prevail against our Lord. So to take a deep breath, you know, and get your bearings because you're in for a long fight until Jesus takes, well, I don't know how long it's going to be, but it's going to seem like a long fight. It's frustrating sometimes when people don't get how simple and clear the gospel is. Or like Pharaoh, they don't want to get it. And you could throw your hands up and say, well, God's not prevailing. Oh, yes. God is going to prevail. He's already prevailed. And it's a matter of time before everyone knows it. So just understand, there is, there is no wisdom. There is no understanding nor counsel against the Lord. Right? There's nothing that's going to prevail against the Lord. You know, when I was a kid, some of you are old enough to remember these things. So... If you just go back in recent history, I'm talking in the last few hundred years, the advent of humanistic philosophies, right, uh, that, that just swept across Europe in the 17, 1800s, rationalism, as it was called. And then it came into the United States. And, you know, and who stood against a lot of that? Fundament, fundamental Baptists, the, the, the term fundamentalists come from Baptist preachers primarily who said, wait a minute, there are fundamentals of our faith and we're going we're gonna to clear off a spot, and this is where we're going to stand, because humanism was wrecking all the seminaries, uh, all that, uh, that, 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 that thought. And so you can see it even in the literature. So all of a sudden, well, we've got to synthesize. We've got to bring together what, you know, what Darwin's saying here with what the, the Genesis account is over here. So let's, let's kind of merge those together. Let's syncretize those things. And instead of it being a pagan god that was being syncretized, now they're synchronizing. Uh, now they're synchronizing uh, uh, a philosophy that man came from a monkey with what the Bible says. So you can go back. I got them. Like, I've got commentaries that I can read, and I go back and read them and say, "Oh, that's circa 1900. That's circa 1880. That's circa 1920." What are they doing? They're making way for the philosophies of Europe. Well, when I was a kid. Like, if you thought, if you believed that man didn't evolve from a monkey, right, you were, like, laughed out of school. Your teachers looked at you like you were crazy. I was actually in a classroom uh, one time in high school. I wasn't a Christian yet, but this guy was a Christian, so he, he challenged something historically about the text that we're talking about in Exodus. And, oh, man, he got beat up hard by the, the, the history teacher. I'll never forget that. His name was, by the way, Mr. Grubb, if you're watching or you're out there listening to this. Mr. Grubb was a jerk face, and he just beat up on this guy verbally. What a jerk. And so I remember, I'm like a lost guy going, get off the kid, man. He's just, he just believes what he believes, you know. But you were just mocked and made fun of. And today it's like, I mean, scientists, I mean, they, get, they, get, they look like idiot sticks if they hang on to evolution. Why? Because everyone knows there's an intelligent design. It didn't just evolve. There's no possible way because we're in a transition to what the Bible tells us. Eventually, uh, you know, now they're talking about UFOs and spaceships and all that. And, and, so, and so the reality is we're going somewhere. We're going the direction the Bible has been telling us we've been going since the beginning. It's still a showdown. There's no wisdom. There's no counsel against the Lord. And so we understand that God's word is true. We don't have to get scared. Today, 
there's a lot of people out there that aren't even saved saying, you know, this whole Darwin, Darwin thing just doesn't line up with my electron microscope. It don't even line up with my telescope. None of it makes any sense. But you know what? The Bible makes perfectly good sense because we know who designed it. We know who created it, just like the Bible says. Okay, point two. I'm getting off my hobby horse. Point two, fighting God costs you your credibility. Now, this is where you start really. I, I think Pharaoh, he was willing to give up his riches. He, I don't think that was his biggest concern. But, man, this really hits him in the heart because he's so prideful. In verse 3, it says, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Oh, man. That had to just burn Pharaoh. I mean, are you kidding me? This guy, he got ran out of here on a rail. He was a murderer. I mean, he was a Jew sympathizer. And he was out in the wilderness for 40 years. He comes back a shepherd, and now he's got more stock than I do. Yes, Pharaoh, he does because of who he represents. Your gods don't measure up. In the process of the nine previous plagues, God has elevated the people, as I mentioned earlier, the people of Israel from the servants uh, who could be destroyed at the whim and the decree of Pharaoh to a people who have favor in the sight not only of the Egyptians, but in the sight in the, uh, the sight of his servants, Moses had elevated stature as well as we see in the text. Not only was it the servants, I'm sorry. Not only was it the Egyptians, I should say rather. Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Moses's servants, and in the sight of the people. We see that played out in the previous chapter. When now the council is do what Moses says, right? Everybody in the society from top to bottom now realizes that these people are not to be toyed with. Moses was also elevated in stature because Proverbs 16, 7 says, a man's ways, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Why? They were doing what God told them to do. Moses didn't do more than God told him to do. He didn't go in and declare war. We see that when he addresses Pharaoh, he doesn't say more than he needs to say. He doesn't say, he submits to Pharaoh Pharaoh says, come talk to me. He comes and talks to him. Get out of my court. He gets out of his court. We don't see Moses raise his voice until this chapter when we're we're, we're pretty much done with Pharaoh and it's come to a collision course. But up until this point for nine plagues, Moses has been very compliant, very willing to work with Pharaoh uh, when we know it is not going to work for Pharaoh, right? He's just, he's working with him. He's saying, okay, Pharaoh, I'll pray one more time and we'll get this to stop knowing that Pharaoh's just going to blow it off and continue to lie about letting his people go. Moses has been very gracious and kind. But you know what? Moses is doing everything God told him to do. And because of that, you know what? God made his, he made everyone, uh, he gave favor to Moses and the people. Everyone but Pharaoh for the most part. And so Pharaoh is, is, is in command of his country, but he's lost the respect of even the leaders of the country and certainly all the people. This was because the Lord is greater than the gods of Egypt and everyone knew it from top to bottom. Amen? I mean, God's great. And when you don't follow God, it becomes obvious after a while that that's the only way to go. That's the only way, the only truth, and that's the only life. Point three, fighting God costs you posterity. I think this is probably also, uh, this has to hurt. And I think if you're a lost person out there today and you're hearing this, maybe you're in the building, uh, and you're like, yeah, yeah, Brian, whatever, dude. Listen, this one gets you. Right. If it's not your own personal pride and 
and, and your stature, and, and it's not your money. Knowing that, that this isn't good for your generations to follow, that should affect you. I know it doesn't always. I just saw a video yesterday, some poor mom on fentanyl, dead in her car. You know, some people come up, get the kids out, call 911. Mommy won't wake up. Mommy won't wake up. Mm, not a good way to go. That's not going to help your kids. Exodus 11.4. 4. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt. Gives him a time. And all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn beasts. I'm taking the firstborn. Firstborn, firstborn, firstborn. Now he, I'll talk more about this on the second side of this sermon, on the second edge of that sword, uh, when we're talking about the wisdom in this. But firstborn's a big deal. The firstborn is what God calls Israel in Exodus 4.22. They're his firstborn son. So as he deals with us as sons of God, First John chapter 3, uh, he deals with Israel collectively as a son of God. His, as specifically firstborn. So you saw fit to persecute my firstborn to the point of taking babies and tossing them in the Nile River uh, and, and just killing them indiscriminately, their firstborn. So guess what, Pharaoh? Since you've not heeded my warning nine times, and to this point, if we do the math, five times it was because Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and we're getting ready to see the fifth time God hardens his heart for him. Then Pharaoh, guess what? You're going to lose your firstborn too. You'll get a chance to feel what it's like to suffer the death that I've had to face and that my people have had to face. Now, God promises to go out about midnight and kill the firstborn of Israel. Some, some will say, well, how can a loving God do this? And uh, if, if we were really honest, there would probably be some even in here that would say, how can a loving God do this? And that's part of the problem is we don't really know who God is. God's the one who creates us. He's, he's got the right to terminate us. Um, I'm not saying that he's not loving and kind. He is obviously God. He is love. But he's also just and he's righteous and he's true and he's pure. God gives life and he takes away life. In this case, the trajectory of Pharaoh has his entire nation on a, on a crash course with death. And it actually could be merciful because if they continue to grow up under Pharaoh, they're certainly going to continue in this pagan system that has been leading this whole nation to a place of death. So many will die before the age of accountability. Second, this day would, would never have come, by the way, if Pharaoh would have humbled himself before the Lord. We know, I know that. In Exodus 4, the Bible tells us, and the Lord uh, said, in this verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, When thou goest, return into Egypt, see that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, but I will harden his heart, that he shall not let uh, the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn, and say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. God had this in mind from the beginning because he knew what was going to happen with Pharaoh. The blood of these countless Hebrew children and adults was on the hands of Pharaoh and the Pharaohs, and God is going to exact upon Pharaoh the price. And what does this really mean? That, that what is going on between God's people and the powers that be, it is personal and it is painful to God. 
So let me fast forward the tape. When you're when you're on your knees before God, praying in earnest, and we're in a we're in a Hebrews four mi- mindset, right? And we understand we have a high priest who is also touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. We have a priest that not only knows, like, oh, God is in heaven and he knows what I'm going through. Yes, he does know what we're all going through. But he also knows how you feel about it. I mean, his empathy is amazing. It's, it's, it's divine. So God knows how you feel, not just what you're going through. And that's why we should enter boldly to the throne of grace to, to, to get the things that we need. We need to take advantage of that prayer time that God gives us through the Spirit of God. One thing that, that has baffled me when I, was, uh, when I was saved was how many adults in my life had made professions of faith and had made no attempts to share the gospel with me. You know, there are some that are born again, but you would never know it. We can't really always know who's saved and who's not. Only God knows the heart, but we, we judge it by the fruit, right? We're fruit inspectors. It only takes a generation or two to go from victory to apathy to apostasy to complete anarchy in a family that was following God. So this isn't just a warning about, oh, you know, that, that lost sinner dog, you know, his family and his kids and all of that. Listen, I got saved by grace. I mean, God can save anybody, anywhere, anyway. And he will. But let me tell you something, Christians. There's no guarantee for our kiddos either. We've got to realize that. We've got to understand that. They're, you know what? We train them up in the way they should go and pray that, that they'll follow the Lord when they get old. It only takes a generation for them to backslide. It's even worse when godless reproduce more ungodliness. At least if we're discipling, trying to get the truth in, that's good. And God will use that because the word of God doesn't return void. And there's a promise that, that uh, they will not forget that. But at the end of the day, man, we need to be in prayer. We need to be beseeching the Lord on behalf of our posterity so that they don't fall prey to this wicked world that we live in. It's even worse when the godless produce more ungodliness. There's a, a book that was written uh, around the turn of the last century, um, and, and it records the degeneration of one's posterity uh, if God doesn't intervene with his grace. Were it not for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, all Gentiles, that would include probably most everybody in this room, including me preaching, we would be in the state of a fellow named uh, Max Jukes. Max Jukes, Jukes was born about 1720. Jukes was an atheist who married an ungodly woman. So he's, he's, you know, he's early on board in that, that atheism. Um, in 1900, an American pastor and educator, which many of us know, his name was Albert Edward Winsop, wrote a book, or we don't know him, but he wrote a book about Jukes and Edwards. The person that we do know is the fellow named Jonathan Edwards. So he takes this person, this is like real research, and he researches this atheist and his posterity, and then he researches uh, Jonathan Edwards and his posterity. And just to summarize it, uh, <clears throat> Jukes's heritage was a complete mess. A study in education and heredity, if you're looking for the, the reference, that's the name of the book, A Study of Education and Heredity. Of course, everybody's looking at, at that time, looking at, at uh, you know, um, cause and effect and, and uh, the Darwinian model. So those are things they're interested in. In it, it traced the posterity of two son, two, these two men. Um, of Max Jukes's 540 studied descendants, 310 died of, of as paupers, right? They were poor. 150 were uh, convicted criminals. And there were seven murderers, 
over 100 drunkards and 190 female prostitutes. That's a tough, that's a tough heritage there. You take Jonathan Edwards, 1,394 offspring from his, his short life. He died, I think, at 53, 54 years old, something like that. Um, and his descendants, uh, out of his descendants, came uh, American vice president, three senators, three governors, three mayors, 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 military officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 prominent authors, 80 other public officials. So how we, we live our lives as fathers and mothers and, and we treat our wives, right, and our children will have an effect for generations to come. God has a concern about reproducing righteousness and not unrighteousness. That's why we preach the gospel, is to change the course. You could be the uh, dirty, as, as dirty as could be. You could be crooked as a dog's hind leg and roll up into this service or meet one of us on the street, and we open up the word of God and share the gospel, and God can change you and change the trajectory, not only of your life, but of all of those that will follow. The gospel makes a difference. Many years ago, I was preaching here in Cass County Jail. And I was waiting there one Sunday night to, to enter the jail. And uh, as, you know, which is always, you know, you never know what time. they got to get everything settled. So I'm, I'm in the, the area there on the back side where the, you enter the jail. And there's a mom with her, her child waiting to see her husband. And they're going to go visit him, you know, in the visitor pod there. And, uh, and so as I'm, as I'm in this area, and I don't know if Steve was with me or if any, any of y'all was with me. But if you were, you'll know I'm not take, making this story up. There's this little boy in there, and uh, and he makes the comment to his mom, when I grow up, I want to be like Daddy, and I want to go to jail too. Man, my heart just broke. You know what? To this day, as I was prepping this message, and I thought on this subject of the, the, the lineage and, and what's going to happen to those that follow us for good or evil, man, my heart breaks for that kid. I pray for him. I don't. He's a man probably by now, a young man for sure. And, uh, you know, I don't know where he went, but I pray that God interdicted. And, and he's not following in his daddy's footsteps. Before we get self-righteous and start believing that there is a, a guaranteed outcome for our children, because we go to church every Sunday and we believe the Bible, we've got to remember that our job is to simply model Christ and give them every opportunity to believe the gospel, train them up in the way they should go. But at the end of the day, every child of ours has to make the decision as well. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. It is certain, however, that if you live a life after the devil, Satan will gladly take your posterity into perdition with you and have dominion not only on your life, but the life of those that follow you. That's just a warning. It isn't going to get any better. Fighting God costs you emotionally. Fourth thing. In verse 6, and there was a great cry throughout, and there shall be, he's prophesying this, a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it anymore. The impact of this, this next plague that's coming is so powerful that it has a unique emotional impact upon the entire society. A cry throughout all the land of Egypt. There are times when entire nations are traumatized. How many of you were alive during the JFK assassination? Okay, I'm calling you out. So, so I don't remember it. Too young. Um, I think it was before I was born. But at any rate, um, did that have an impact on the nation? Was it an emotional impact? I'm sure. 
I mean, I've read about it, right? We're still trying to discern how that possibly could happen and who was behind it and all of those, uh, the things behind who shot a sitting president. It, infe- it affects people. How many were alive during 9-11? That more of us, right? We were doing our church plan. I still remember that day. I was at work. I remember seeing those towers. Affected the entire nation emotionally, but not really spiritually. You know what? For a few weeks, the churches were packed full. And then you know what? Within a few weeks, it was just emotion. It didn't bring that spiritual revival that really needed to happen. I can, I can remember the collective shock of our nations as thousands of people perished before our very eyes on television. The attack impacted this nation emotionally, but, but like the plague of Egypt, the spiritual impact was short-lived. The churches went back to normal. As we, This is what happened, if you know anything about the Patriot Act. We exchanged liberty for security which our forefathers warned us, don't ever do. Instead of going to God and saying, God, we need you. God, this is a country that's on the wrong course. God, we need help. Not just because a foreign or something has happened in New York. Not just because of that. But because you're trying to get our attention. You're trying to wake us up. You're trying to tell us something. Might we go back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God whose name is Jesus Christ, the God that that saves, the God that we should be preaching, the God that we should be living our lives for? This is for the church. But no, we went back to sleep. As our country went to war, the longest war we've ever had. You know what we did during that long, long war? We spent our financial resources. This country today is, is, we're so leveraged. We need spiritual renewal, not financial, not political. None of that stuff's going to get anybody to heaven. What we need is Jesus Christ, what we've always needed. The impact of our collective fear instead of faith has been a contributing factor to the nation's willingness to embrace Marxism. There's a whole younger generation, some of you in this room probably, that would gladly receive Marxism. Why? Because you really believe that there's some outside force other than God that can provide your needs. And it just isn't true. The la- by the way, study the last century, the ni- in 1900s. More people have been murdered by that wicked philosophy, which comes, by the way, out of humanism and that other theology that I was talking about in the previous centuries. And, you know, of all the people of the earth, we should understand this. And, of, by the way, all the messages on the earth that stand against that, it is simply the one I've been preaching I started off with, which is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is all kinds of confusion and emotional, uh, emotional problems and mental issues in our country today. Why? Because we've forsaken the God that can save us, that can set us apart, that can take our trauma and give us the comfort that we need from the comforter to process all the damage that the devil is trying to cause in our lives. I'm not denying the trauma. I'm not denying the post-traumatic stress. I'm not denying any of that. I'm getting ready to spend a, a week training on that. I mean, I get it. It's true and it's real, but only Jesus Christ can change it. Lastly, fighting God costs you relationally. You know, I started with the finance. Finance is really the smallest issue. The biggest one is this last one, and I'll be done. 
Exodus 7, or 11, 7 through 9. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against any man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And I'd like to read through verse 9, but I'll let you read that on your own for time's sake. Some falsely teach that God is endorsing racial division here. That's just absolutely not what he's doing. God's plan has always been for the nations and the world to be blessed and grafted in through the nation of Israel, through Abraham's seed. I just got to throw that out. If this was about separating races, God would not have invited believing Egyptians to partake in the Passover or escape the bondage of Egypt or made a way for a mixed multitude. Of course not, he wouldn't have. God would have uh, not made a provision for proselytes in the law. He wouldn't have made a way for Joseph's wives, who were Egyptian, or his wife, who was Egyptian. His two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were half Jews. So it's not about racial division at all. Just want to throw that out there. God has blessed the relationship of Egypt to Israel under Joseph. When they blessed Joseph, guess what? God blessed Egypt. When they cursed God's people, guess what? Judgment came upon Egypt. It's about a relationship, and God wanted to have a relationship. If Pharaoh would have dealt respectfully and kindly with God's people, with Jacob's seed, guess what? God would have dealt kindly with Egypt and with Pharaoh. In Genesis 12, that is a promise. It still holds true to this day. Outside of the gospel, this is just geopolitical Gentile politics. Any nation that will bless Israel, guess what? God will bless them. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them, and bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. I'm not saying you've got to trust them, but you certainly should bless them. Right? If you're the president of the United States, you've got to take care of your people, but you also got to be wise, Pharaoh, in how you deal with God's people, even if they're unregenerate. God was dividing Israel from the Egyptians because the Egyptians had no desire to bless Israel. And the paganism, as we learned in the first few plagues, was impacting God's people. He had to separate them out. That's what he's trying to do is get them spiritually set apart so they can go in the wilderness and worship him. This is a war for worship. You know what the devil wants to do with us and our children is get us, uh, get us synchronized to this world so our worship is indistinguishable from the world. And it's not. We should be different from the world. Not because we dress different, we act funny, or we look like a bunch of Amish people running around our little carts, you know, and all. No, no, we don't have to do that. We're in the world. We can use it. We got liberty. What should be different about us is our relationship with Jesus Christ changes all the other relationships and the way we deal with everybody else. In Luke 9, 5, Jesus said this, And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of the city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. You know, Paul forsook preaching to the Jews, ironically, because of their unwillingness to receive their own Messiah. After giving them ample opportunity to hear the gospel, he left off preaching to them and went to the fertile fields among the Gentiles because, because it was about a relationship. Who would have a relationship with Jesus? In Acts 18.6, the Bible says, And when they op- opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Ye, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. There are times when we just got to shake off the dust from our feet, you know, and just move to the next person that will receive the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We understand that those who are in Christ are new creatures because we are like Christ. There's not a Jew nor a Greek, but the new creature. He repeats that in Galatians 6.15 when he says, For Christ Jesus, or in, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So the greatest thing Pharaoh lost was the opportunity to have a relationship with Moses and the children of Israel and with us. I'm only going to see Pharaoh when he's getting cast in the lake of fire. And I'll remember these days when I preached about his life and how God used his life as an example of what not to do. As a warning. As a warning to all of us. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be a knucklehead like Pharaoh. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm just telling you, this morning you need to heed these five things. You need to examine your life. And you know that you probably fall right in there. The Bible says in Psalms 14 and verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. However, the wisest man that ever lived said this in Ecclesiastes 12:13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The arrogant king uh, Belshazzar mocked God. He took the, the, the vessels that were in the temple, the vessels that were designed for God's worship, and he misused them. He mistreated them, just like Pharaoh mistreated the, uh, the Jews, just like this world will mistreat Christians, the vessels that God is using. And he brought them into the banquet hall, knowing, knowing what they were, but acting as though he didn't have any, any understanding. And he, and he made merry, and he filled them up with alcohol, and they had a good old time, and were getting drunk and having a party and, and mocking God. And all of a sudden, this hand gets writing on the wall. Many of you probably know that story. He could only see the hands. It was like some scary movie, you know, just writing up there on the wall. Then it says in Daniel 5, 24, Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and in the writing was written, and this is the writing that was written, Meeny, meeny, tickle a parson. And this is the interpretation of the thing. Meeny, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tickle. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. You know, even if you're saved, you can live like a fool. Don't be found wanting. We'll be weighed by the words of God, and the only way to pass the scale of judgment is to rest in the goodness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3 says this in verse 3, and we'll be done. For we, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, but, but after that, the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, as we come to this conclusion of this message, these five points that we look 